This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. So Stu walked in this week with a book, Democracy and Political Ignorance. And I just love the, I just love the title of that uh, because <laughs> that's kind of what we're living in right now. Um, but you talked to the writer, right? Yeah, I actually talked to him on Wonderful World of Stew, uh, the program that airs on this wonderful network you call The Blaze, um, about he wrote a book actually about uh, the Kilo case and um, about, um, you know, eminent domain and, and how that happened and how the government decided to try to take the property of all these homeowners who just wanted to live in their homes for really no purpose at all. It became obviously a big Supreme Court case, and many, many people on the right have pushed back against it. Some Republicans have not. (laughs) We had a discussion about that. So Ilya Solman uh, is uh, on with us now. Ilya, how are you, sir? Good. Uh, How are you? Uh, Very good. So um, I want to talk to you about your book just a little bit, Democracy and Political uh, Ignorance. Holy cow, those are the days we're living in, huh? <laughs> yes, um, one might even say the study of political ignorance has become great again. <laughs> yes. Um, the uh, um, Why Small Government is Smarter is the uh, subtitle. I don't see anybody, Ilya, fighting for smaller government. Even, quite honestly, even the, um, the libertarians don't seem to be fighting for smaller government at this point. Um, is smaller government... Uh, you know, the idea that the principles that at least I grew up with, are those, is that a thing of the past? I think certainly right now is not the best time for those ideas, but I also think it's too early to declare the cause dead. There are still a good many people, Republicans, even some Democrats, certainly most libertarians, who view government with great suspicion and who also recognize that government is way too centralized. Uh, and I think we can build on that and move in the right direction, even but, though obviously but, the last couple of years have been very discouraging in that respect. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, you, 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 I used to believe that too, Ilya, and then, and then I watched people just vote for the biggest statists we had on the stage. I think that certainly sometimes happens, uh, but it's also the case that if you look at American history as recently as the 1990s, We did have considerable reductions in government spending during that time. Even over the last four or five years, ever since we went to divided government in 2011, there have been some improvements, not necessarily because Obama or the people in Congress really want them, but because the clash between Democrats and Republicans with divided government tends to lead to those results. I think fundamentally, if you look at a lot of survey data, as I do in my book, there are a lot of people who are very suspicious of government and politicians. Yeah, but are politicians they... are viewed even more negatively and less trusted than my profession, lawyers and law professors. Uh, and I think over time, perhaps some of that could be channeled 
into uh, limiting and reducing the power of government rather than simply into saying, well, we want to transfer that massive power and some other had a set of hands that promise but, that but, uh, they'll me, bring change we can believe in or that they'll make America great again to quote yeah, slogans I'm, from recent campaigns. Right. I mean, you, you're, you're, your name of your book is political ignorance, democracy and political ignorance. You know, they do distrust, but so they say, instead, let's give it to a community organizer before anybody knew what that meant, or a game show host. Yes, I think that's right. <laughs> In both of those cases, people felt, well, this is a new kind of politician. He's going to do wonderful things that uh, maybe weren't possible with more conventional politicians. In both cases, I think uh, uh, that hasn't turned out to be the case. Uh, so... Over time, however, if you look historically, there have been periods where people used to think that something was a very important function of government, but over time, they came to realize that maybe it shouldn't be something that government should control. Uh, I think religion is an excellent example. For most of the history of the Western world, most people thought that if there is one function that government should be doing, it's promoting the right religion. Over time, most people, at least in the West, have come to realize not that religion isn't important, it clearly is, but the government, including democratic government, can't really be trusted in this area. And I think maybe we can make similar realizations in other areas, or at the very least, we could recognize that some of what is currently being done in Washington can be decentralized to states or localities. If you believe that, say, Switzerland can have its own health care policy or its own education policy and do pretty well at it, which it does, then the same should be true of Virginia or Massachusetts or Texas, uh, that they're as big or actually in some cases much bigger than a country like Switzerland. So decentralization can also be at least a partial remedy for the problem of political ignorance, something I discuss in more detail in my book. Okay, so Elia, that's good, but you're talking to four guys here and a listening audience of millions who pay attention and can actually read English um, or any language. <laughs> um, I'll bet you that half of America wouldn't even understand what the hell you just said. And so it's not just political ignorance, it's ignorance ignorance in America. And this is where at the place where I've always disagreed with the progressives. The progressives always thought people are too stupid, they're cattle, we're ranchers, we'll round things up. Are people so disconnected and so apathetic and so ignorant of what's going on? And I'm talking about the average person that's going to go out and vote. Are they so ignorant that that we can't recover this? And in, in, if not, why? If so, how do we educate them and reach, to, uh, reach out to people who are still college educated but are morons? <laughs> so I think ignorance is part of the human condition. We're all inevitably ignorant of the vast majority of all the information that's out there because there's just much more of it than we can learn. That said, I think there's a special problem with political ignorance where our incentive to be ignorant in that area is greater than in most others because in that area, the chance that your vote will have a decisive effect on an electoral outcome is infinitesimally small, about one in 60 million in a presidential election, for example. So there is more incentive to be ignorant there 
than a lot of other areas. So I don't think we can get to the point where most voters or even more than a tiny fraction will be policy wonks and will pay really close attention. But I do think we can get to a point where more people have at least some sense of their limitations and therefore that maybe some things should not be as much controlled by the political process as they are now. I mentioned the historical example of religion. We might say the same thing about other areas. I don't think this is a change that's going to happen overnight in a radical way, but I do think we can incrementally move in the right direction. If you look at survey data I mentioned earlier, people are already very suspicious of government. Uh, there's also some good data indicating that people often are particularly suspicious of the federal government and in many areas would trust states and localities more. That can be built on. It's not something that can happen overnight, uh, and there will be many painful and frustrating setbacks like we're certainly experiencing this year. Uh, but I think it's too early to just give up, especially since the consequences of giving up uh, are also potentially pretty dire. We oh, do yeah. have a vastly overgrown government. We have many very dangerous initiatives involving government power coming from both the left and the right. So uh, those of us who feel that uh, we want to cut back on that, we owe it to ourselves and perhaps to society as a whole to do what we can to at least make things somewhat better. The way you are talking, um, I, I'm guessing, and you do not have to answer this, but I'm guessing that you don't like either choice uh, for president. How did you ever guess that? I think <laughs> okay. they're both pretty bad. I think that's safe are to say, you, at least are, from my point of view. Though I gonna... do think uh, that the Libertarian Party candidate, Gary Johnson, while certainly far from perfect, is vastly preferable to uh, those other two. Okay. <laughs> So that you're going to vote for the Libertarian? Probably. Okay. Uh, it depends to some extent on how well he's doing and on how close the election is between the other two. <laughs> so you might throw your vote towards one of the other two? Yeah. Uh, I think the other two are both pretty bad, but I do think Hillary Clinton is the lesser evil of them. And there's not many wow. politicians who could win a presidential nomination, yes. I would say, are a, a lesser evil than Hillary Clinton. But the Republican <laughs> Party, in its wisdom, has managed to hit on one of them. <laughs> this is amazing. This is a guy who's been talking for 10 minutes about uh, you know, smaller government being the path to to, yeah. to uh, our freedom, and uh, and that's an amazing. I mean, it's and I, I don't know. I, mean, I think a lot of people are getting to that same exact spot. Yeah. Uh, it's incredible. So I understand that you lost a family member. The anniversary of the uh, Nazi Soviet pack um, is this week. This week, yeah. and I understand you have lost a family member because of that. Probably more than one. Uh, in the Nazi, one of the immediate results of the Nazi-Soviet pact was the war between the Soviet Union and Finland, uh, which uh, the Soviet Union invaded Finland because, as part of their agreement with the Germans, Finland fell within the Soviet sphere. Uh, and my great-uncle was a Russian soldier who was killed uh, in the Russo-Finnish War. Uh, I also lost a large number of other relatives to the Holocaust and the World War II more generally, uh, and the Nazi-Soviet pact. Uh, played a major role in all of that as well. You you say um, that the Nazi-Soviet pact is uh, one of the biggest mistakes of of uh, you know uh, peace in world history. 
I think it's actually worse than a mistake. The Munich Agreement between the British and French and the Nazis, that was a mistake in that Neville Chamberlain, I think, genuinely wanted peace, but he badly screwed up on how to get it. On the other hand, the agreement between Stalin and Hitler was not just a mistake, it was an actual crime, because these were two brutal mass-murdering dictators who uh, deliberately sought to carve up much of Eastern Europe between them in ways that led to mass murder and enormous oppression for many millions of people. So there were some mistakes involved, perhaps, especially on Stalin's part, uh, but fundamentally it was much worse than merely a mistake. So why did Stalin, why did this end? Because Stalin, did Stalin actually expect to get peace or was he stalling for time and his intent was to take Germany out anyway at some point? There's some dispute about this between historians. I think the most plausible theory is that Stalin saw a couple different advantages in signing the deal with Hitler. One is he really did want to take over substantial portions of Eastern Europe that were allocated to him under the secret protocol to the agreement, including Finland, the Baltic states, and a chunk of Poland. Uh, but he also thought that uh, if he did, made this agreement with the Germans, the Germans might then get involved in a war with the Western powers, as they in fact did. And he, like many people, did not expect that the Germans would conquer France as easily as they did. So he thought probably that he could sit back and enjoy the British, French, and the Germans tear each other apart while he could take advantage of the situation and take over uh, as much of Eastern Europe as he potentially could, uh, given that situation. When France fell, obviously, those expectations were in large part disappointed, though even then he for a long time didn't expect that Hitler would actually attack him. Real quick, I'm just I'm just curious. Um, I mean, you're you're an author of Democracy and Political Ignorance, but you're also a law professor at uh, George Mason University. Um, if you had to rank uh, the evil, Mao, uh, Mao, Hitler, Stalin, how would you rank them? Because the world would always put Hitler up at the top. How would you rank those? I think it's a very hard question. It depends on how you want to do the ranking. If you just want to rank it by the number of innocent people that they slaughtered, Mao would have to rank at the top, probably as many as over 40 million people, which is more than a number of victims of Stalin and much more number of victims of Hitler. You could say, however, well, that was just because Mao ruled a country with an enormous population for 27 years, whereas Stalin ruled a country with a smaller population in China, and Hitler had only 12 years in power. Uh, so I think, therefore, it's difficult to say which was the, the most evil of those three. What I think is important to remember is, at the very least, that the three of them are comparable evils, whereas, uh, although historians are certainly aware of the crimes of Mao and Stalin, they get much less press and much less attention yeah. uh, than those of Hitler do. And I think that's unfortunate, even though, as I mentioned before, I certainly lost relatives in the Holocaust. I have no desire to minimize Hitler's crimes in any way. Oh, I know, I know. Elias Oman, thank you so much. Professor of Law, George Mason University. Uh, new book, Democracy and Political Ignorance, Why Smaller Government is Smaller uh, is uh, Smarter. Thank you, Elia. We hope to have you on again. Fascinating. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. 
okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com.